Listen for the word of God from Galatians 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Thanks be to God for the reading of the word. That's it. One verse today, not even a whole verse, a half a verse, Galatians 5.1a. You're welcome. That's to make up for a lot of weeks of extended, thick reading of Bible passages the last few weeks. We've come through what we told you would be a, a meaty theological section of Galatians, and we're turning a corner today. We're turning a page. We turn a page to the new chapter, the first verse of chapter 5, verse 1. It really belongs to chapter 4 and the last chapters, too. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Last week, Pastor Devo read this large portion of Galatians, and then he sighed out loud. Remember, he said, the Bible is sometimes difficult to understand, and we don't even feel like trying. Strange and awkward. He had this strange and awkward allegory of Sarah and Hagar that he walked us through last week. We had to think hard and slow. Sometimes the Bible is difficult. Other times, the Bible is actually not difficult at all. It means what it says. Listen to how it's heard, our, our verse, Galatians 5, verse 1. Listen to how it's heard in other translations and paraphrases. For freedom, Christ has set us free. If we check first with the original language, the Greek, in the Greek New Testament, the words are, go in this order. For freedom, us, Christ has freed. In the New American Standard, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. In the New International, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Is it starting to sound similar? So Christ has truly set us free, the New Living Translation. And Eugene Peterson, Christ has set us free to live a free life. David Bentley Hart uh, paraphrased that we've been reading sometimes at Tuesdays at the text, our Tuesday night Bible study. His paraphrase says, the anointed freed us for freedom. Sometimes the text is pretty easy. Christians are free. In the most decisive, clear way, Paul says that the people of God, the people of the new Jesus way, you're free people. It's an emphatic, it's celebratory declaration. Sometimes we turn the page of scripture and we find it easy to read, simple to understand. The Bible sometimes means what it says. We are free. Most listening today we got up this morning and we presumed, we assumed our freedom, right? Free to do and think and be, freedom to shower or to not, freedom, I mean, tell the truth, really, freedom to shower or to not, to sleep or eat or hike, freedom to play games or binge on Netflix, freedom to respond to a text message or ghost someone. We have this presumed, assumed kind of freedom. This is my life and I'm free to build it and create it and live it. I'm free to make all of these choices. We're raised in a nation. Our idea here is that it, what, this is what it means to be free. And, and it informs our idea of freedom. When we read the word in the Bible, being from the land of the free, the language we use in our national anthem, it informs us when we read scripture, actually. America, this grand experiment of personal freedom, we turn to our founding documents that we learned in elementary and high school, right? We have rights guaranteed us as citizens. We have free freedom for speech and freedom of the press and freedom to assemble and freedom of religion or to bear arms or freedom of search and seizure. Summarize all these government documents loosely, maybe a little sloppy. I have the right to be and to do what I want as long as it doesn't interfere with your right to be and do. 
This is how we think of ourselves as America. Our ideas of freedom are shaped that way. Free people living in a free land. Freedom is something we have. We presume to have it. Pretty sure if you're younger listening to me today, right? If you're younger, you don't feel so free, kids and teenagers. Your parents are free, but you're not. Your teachers are free, but you're not. Your parents kind of feel like the freedom police, right? I know, because I was a parent. Parents decide. They make all these decisions for you. They decide if it's safe to leave you home alone. They decide when you're old enough to know that if someone bleeds, you'll know where the Band-Aids are and to call 911, right? Your parents, they make the decisions about when, what you can read and what you can watch and who you can talk to, and they'll decide the day you're allowed to drive a car. They'll decide when it's your first date and be marked by some arbitrary number on the calendar. So annoying. They'll decide when you've demonstrated your ability to keep yourself safe and behave honorably. And, you know, they'll, we can trust you. From a young age, freedom is sort of held out in front of us once we prove our responsibility. And in the diminishing years of our life, diminishing freedom, that also happens as our adult children come for the car keys and move us to smaller and safer environments and frown on our decisions to go and do and be. Freedom comes and goes. Sometimes we sneak. We sneak to exercise our freedom because our lives feel so regulated by the freedom police. We sneak moments of freedom and, and we get caught. And then the grand experiment of personal freedom fails. And so we make a few more rules and a few more regulations. When I was in high school, ninth grade, I'm going to guess, my father bought his first Honda. It was the precursor to the current Honda Civic. Tiny little thing, a Honda Civic CC. It's like a little shoebox with three doors. My sister drove us round trip to school about an hour on the back roads, country roads every day. One day, time to leave school, we went to the parking lot to go home and we could not find our car. It's uh, not a lot of car to lose. We began to look around the parking lot. We're way out in the country. No one's stealing things off of our tiny, small Christian Adventist campus. Seriously, the size of our parking lot was about a third of the size of La Sierra Academy. I don't remember how long it took. I don't remember who called for us. I simply know we ended up in front of the administration building, and we found our car on the front steps, actually pushed up and inside the doors of the ad building with the doors to the car kind of scrunched in. Personal freedoms. Sometimes they collide, right? It turns out we can't trust everyone to be responsible with their freedoms, and so we make a few more rules. Yeah, there were some rules and disciplinary action that day. I have, uh, I have the, the, the student handbooks for La Sierra Academy and Vegas Middle School. It uh, turns out at Vegas Middle School, you can still get milk for 50 cents a serving. That's pretty fantastic. And La Sierra, I hadn't actually read all of our academy handbook yet. I love the Friday relaxed dress rule. And I am missing some of my favorite rules from the early years, you know, when the school was founded. Um, 1923, the student handbook That's the year they told us that everyone gets slippers to wear in the dormitories and embroidered linen napkins, and there'll be no loitering between the gentlemen and the ladies in the parlor. Those are the school rule books, right? The student handbook. These books talk about punctuality and honesty and standards of dress and cell phone usage and campus-wide rules and classroom rules and safety rules and non-discrimination rules because... It turns out humans have a tendency to make a mess 
out of our own personal freedom. And we live with some freedom police. Some of us are the freedom police. Come back to our verse then, our half of a verse from Galatians 5, chapter 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Is it an easy verse after all? Does it mean what it says? The the Bible says what it says, and we work to understand what it means. When I read freedom, I bring with me all of my personal association and my history of the experience and the ideas about freedom. When I read the word freedom in scripture, I bring all of my history with me. What if I brought a history with me from my home country of Cuba or the Philippines? And what if I brought a history with me as a foster kid emancipated at age 18 living on the streets of Riverside? What if I brought a history with me as an indigenous indigenous Native American? There's not a scenario we could name where the words and concepts from Scripture don't fall under the influence of our own personal histories. For us, for the Galatians, for the Apostle Paul... Since the beginning of the human journey, freedom's not an abstract idea. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Yes? How many times in the past eight weeks of this series has the Apostle Paul told people that they're actually enslaved? How often did he warn them or scold them? How often did he worry that they would return to slavery by the decisions they were making? Paul talks about realms of power that enslave people. It's on his mind constantly in this letter. You're under the realm of power. He says it 10 times in three chapters. You're under the realm of power, and the power is a curse, and it's sin, and it's a confusing custodian, and the power is guardians and overseers. You're under the power of the law. He says that one a lot. It's a striking expression. You're under the power. If you put Galatians next to the book of Romans that Paul also wrote, supposedly he wrote that to a worldly group of people, right? Paul uses this same phrase, you're under the power of, only four times in the book of Romans. But in Galatians, he's all over it. Humans are under an enslaving universal yoke. And it manifests itself in many ways. Now, for Jesus, and in Jewish teaching, remember, a yoke is not negative. My yoke is... What did Jesus say? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's it's what humans do with the yoke. It's humans harnessing one another that causes humiliation and trauma. If we had a picture book of world history and experience with yoke wearing, the humiliation and the trauma, if we started from even the Assyrians in the ancient Near East and we, we looked at images of what it looks like when people are enslaved with a yoke, we'd be sick to our stomachs. Paul cannot talk about freedom from a neutral experience because there's a universal enslaving yoke that is real. The Galatian teachers wanted wanted people to yoke themselves with more laws and rules and regulations, and, and that would be bring freedom. Paul said, nope, been there, done that. I'm not doing that again. Freedom. Freedom from the universal yoke comes only from Christ, Paul says, so don't be fooled. God and Jesus Christ is liberating us. You are free. You're free by this liberating spirit of God. It's the large announcement that after living with Jesus, a Jesus who hung on the cross and vacated a secure tomb, Paul tells us we are free. So why does Paul bury this news in chapter 5? 
Why is this not the first sentence of Galatians? Why not allow it to be the headline of the letter? One day when I sit with Paul, I'd like to ask him a lot of things, but this one, I would ask him, why didn't you start the book of Galatians with this? For freedom, we've been set free. And also, why did you keep talking? Why not be quiet for a minute? For freedom, in freedom, we're set free. Could you picture now a blank page of scripture that allows the space to absorb this news, to let it settle? For freedom, Christ set us free. Shh, stop. Listen, let it settle. Do a happy dance. Sing the doxology. Paul doesn't leave it alone, though. He shores it up with a warning right away. So watch out. Be careful. Stand firm. Be, stand firm. That's the last half of this verse, Galatians 5, 1b. In fact, in the King James Version of the Scripture, the translators actually reverse the word order from the original Greek language. It's interesting. Stand fast, it says in the King James. Stand fast, therefore, in liberty, wherewith Christ has made us free. They give the warning first and the good news second. Apparently, the King James Bible translators carried a similar worry, and instead of leading with the headline, they lead with the warning. Watch out. Be careful. Don't mess it up. It's fragile. It can slip from our hands. You are free and watch out. In the, in the next verses coming up that we'll talk about next week, Paul begins to use his outside voice as he shouts, listen to me. It's Paul. I'm talking to you. You're going to mess it up. We'll talk about that next week. This week, I'm, I'm thinking about what it means to, to lead with the headline instead of a hesitation, what it means to lead with the caption, not the caution. Why is Paul worried? Is the good news too good to be true? Do we think that the generosity of the gospel removes incentive to live a holy life? Maybe we tone it down because of the radical claims of the gospel to prevent us from abusing it. We really can't be trusted with freedom if you give us freedom, we will go willy-nilly crazy with it. Is that why Paul tones it down? There's a little girl in our church years ago. I remember her telling her little friends that she had the best grandma, the best grandma, because you know why? We eat dessert first. The kids are startled. You can do that? You can, there's not like a rule? There's not a rule we have to eat the Swiss chard before the ice cream? Oh, what is it? Is, are we afraid of freedom? But deep down inside of me, I wonder if we've ever actually embraced the freedom that God has placed in us. In our story with God, when we speak of freedom, we're actually speaking of something specific and prior to any other kind of freedom. And we should acknowledge this, that this freedom in Scripture, it's at a serious odds with everyday American use and practice of that language. National conversations about freedom, they're important, but they're not this. Ethical, legal, moral conversations about freedom in our country, they're important, and they're still not this. I have to put aside my national colors, my political loyal loyalties, my team jersey. When we speak of love and freedom and grace and a holiness, theologian Karl Barth tells us, we're not using general concepts everyone understands. We're referring to the actual being of God. God in freedom binds God's self to humans. God in freedom can choose anything God wants, and he chooses Jesus. God gives God's self to humans through Jesus. God is the very definition of freedom. 
Bart goes on to say, God's freedom is not freedom from, but freedom for, to be God for us and in us through Jesus Christ. God's freedom was and is expressed in the gospel. The only freedom that matters is this. We are now free to be God's creatures, God's partners, God's children. Yes, in the beginning, the creator comes to us and binds our stories together in freedom. It's the headline of the story. The only way we experience freedom is in response to God. Any other kind, any other kind of perceived freedom in this life is really more like unfreedom. There's another startling way to understand Galatians 5.1, and I'm fascinated by this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. In the original language, freedom is something like a location. Freedom is like Jerusalem or Antioch or the home synagogue. God puts us in a place called freedom. God puts us in a neighborhood called freedom. Earlier in Galatians, when Paul spoke about freedom, he said, these, these spies came, these guys came, and they spied on our freedom, much like you would spy on land, spy out an enemy territory. Freedom as a location? For freedom, God put us in a neighborhood called Freedom Church. And it, it, if you caught the language, it's communal. There's not an individual private freedom. For freedom, Christ set us all free, you all, all of us. We are in a free community, free to respond to God, the freedom that God placed in us. We are free to develop the neighborhood, all of us together, living at the same address. It's easy to think Galatians is an academic debate, and yet it's as much about the health and wellness of our shared lives and our homes and our community and our church as anything else we read in Scripture it's the last part of the letter Paul will name uh, what he thinks our freedom can do in this world. That's what we focus on in the next weeks. It is obvious, though, self-evident to you and to me that we are not autonomously free in our world, that we're bound up to one another in the choices that we make. Listen, here's headlines from this week's news. You tell me which of these headlines involved autonomous freedom. Tropical Storm Marco, Hurricane Laura, Jerry Falwell Jr., USPS, and mail-in voting. Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. The NBA, California wildfires, back to school. Look around our country. I mean, I didn't even name pandemic. It is obvious, it is self-evident that we are not autonomously free, that somehow we are bound with one another and the choices that we make. We're, we are. And... We are living in this exhausting era, longing for deep rest. We're at the beginning of the school year, and we are already over it. We know, because we're all talking about it. It bubbled up inside of me on Wednesday when a news update came over my device that the four bullet holes in the back of Jacob Blake means he lays paralyzed in a hospital. One more young black man father of three, I began to verbalize out loud, no, 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 and tears fa falling on my face over a man I've never met. It came from my exhausted soul. What must it feel like for my brown and black-skinned siblings? What do they continue to feel? How can we make this stop? How can we release our siblings from this yoke of pretend power that we've organized in our society? I'm exhausted of this world. I am longing longing for what's next, you too. 
What are the yokes you're wearing that weigh you down? What are the yokes you've not given yourself permission to take off? Are you wearing the yoke of a past? Because God says we are free from our past. Our past is not controlling the present and the future. Are you wearing the yoke of money? Too much excess? Too little poverty? Because you are free. Your money does not control your present or your future. Are you wearing the yoke of perceived success and achievement, gentlemen or ladies, whatever the world values as success and ideal, whatever that is, take it off. Are you wearing the yoke of not belonging to any of the categories people have created? Are you wearing the yoke of self-destruction? Are you wearing the yoke of illness or disease? None of these yokes. None of these yokes have you. None of these yokes have you because you belong to God and you are free. We are free, exhausted, weary ones. Go back to the beginning of the story because in the beginning, the creator in freedom loved us into existence. We barely got our footing in God's story before we woke up with the snake's snare. Go back to the beginning this week, exhausted souls, We have no freedom in and of ourselves. We have freedom because of the one who loved us through Jesus, a gift we are granted. La Sierra Academy, La Sierra University, our schools right here, we have prayed for you these weeks. We pray for you now as school starts, the university, as courses begin soon. This is the entire reason for Christian education, that our students will know this very God. Something tells me that the more deeply we understand God choosing us out of all of God's options, God can do whatever God wants and God chooses us. The more we understand this, how God longs for us in freedom, we choose God back. As this settles, it impacts everything else we do with our freedom. Freedom. Some days are for holding still in the freedom, the blessing that God is for us. This is where our deep, exhausted souls find rest. What comes after is simply that. It it comes after. So let's start with the headline, not hesitation. Let's lead with the caption, not the end. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Amen.